What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome to The Big Stream, a new pop culture podcast from TheBigLead.com. My name is Stephen Douglas. With me is also from The Big Lead, Kyle Coster. Um, Kyle, today we are going to talk about the Netflix movie Spiderhead. Drip on? Acknowledge, and I am ready to go. Whatever you want to course through my veins, I am ready for the ride I am in, I'm doing hard time. I'm looking to do anything that reduces my sentence. The consequences be damned. Now I am under the belief that this is all for a good cause. We're going to be helping people. I feel confident in your capable hands. You are bound by the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. So let's go forward. Let's go wherever the experience takes us. And I'm sure it's going to be a pleasant one with no detrimental long-term effects. Yeah, I, I'm an optimist. So I, I just assumed uh, that this was one of those good uh, prison movies, you know, where everyone has, uh, has just the best intentions. And it, I, I was shocked to find out that it was not. Spiderhead is a new Netflix movie with uh, Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller. It's directed by the same guy that did uh, Top Gun Maverick. And it's, I had never heard of it until you you started uh, extolling its virtues in our chat. Uh, Where did you first hear about it? Did you just stumble on it? What's what's your original relationship with Spiderhead? Well, it's one of those classic only in 2022 experiences where I saw it on the home screen and even the picture, the title card of it is beautiful. It's Chris Hemsworth, arguably the most beautiful man ever created by science or otherwise. It's bright. It looked clean. The name is awesome. I mean, we can start right there. The name Spiderhead, I'm going to be interested in it. And I knew that it was about some sort of medical experience experiments being conducted at a prison. Now, this is adopted from a story by George Saunders, so it's not an original screenplay. I did some light Googling about it, and I'm always interested in movies that are psychological in nature. Um, They don't necessarily have to be that good. There was one called like the Belko Experiment, Would You Rather, 
all these things on Netflix that are kind of like pit the mind. Nothing gets me excited about a movie like a good idea. And I'm less interested in the execution, to be honest, if the idea is so good. One of my favorite movies of all time is Saw, the original Saw. Great twist in that one. But I'm all about the elevator pitch and about the premise. And I figured with Hemsworth, who I really haven't seen act in a lot of stuff, but I know is a big superstar in the superhero movies. And then Miles Teller, who I find maybe not my favorite actor, but he's always doing some interesting things. I decided to press play on it. And immediately I was confronted by, okay, this is going to deliver. I understand the concept beautifully. It's about prisoners who are doing hard time, but in exchange for a reduced sentence, they submit to being part of a pharmaceutical experiment in which multiple drugs are administered to them and then the effects are documented. They believe it's doing good and it's going to better society. And I think at that point, maybe they don't even really care if it's going to be good for the world or bad for the world because they're so up against it that they have so little recourses. Now, that's an interesting way to comment on the incarceration industrial complex you can't leave. I'm not so sure this movie landed a lot of big picture thoughts about the world, about prisons, about big pharma that we didn't know already. But I guess my takeaway is it doesn't really matter because in terms of viewing experiences, this was the rare one where I was just titillated and engaged and thrilled to be watching each and every scene and it was awesome too, because the story is so easy to follow. I was struck how much it reminded me of a Black Mirror episode from The Jump. I love Black Mirror. I have a fond spot for the movie Old by M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> which has a similar twist. And it's as if Kaczynski combined these two, but just kind of amped it up to this streamlined, flashy, just mesmerizing to look at product with a soundtrack that we're going to get to, which is one of my favorite in recent years. And everything about it is just awesome. Although you could say that the movie is not a four-star movie. It is one of the most enjoyable times I've had seated in front of Netflix in a long time. I didn't look at my phone a rare extended experience where I had no urge to see what else was going on in the world because I was so enraptured and engrossed in the one that was created for me. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good way to look at it. Um, I would not go so far to call this a, a good movie. It's very interesting. Uh, the performances are all good. It's, it's fun to watch. It falls short in a lot of places um, for like just having a, a story and being like, I don't really think that the movie knew what it wanted to be. It's about drug tests, secret drug tests at a, uh, fan, a very fancy prison in a beautiful setting. I think it was shot in Australia. Um, there's no, no reason that it has to be in such a beautiful place. And it's like kind of set up as a psychological thriller, but I'd say like 50% of this movie is like either a dark comedy or just a, a straight up comedy. The tone just is, it will shift wildly as if the drugs are being administered to the script. 
if it, it's trying to be like some super dark thing with a twist, uh, it, it does not really land any of that. The big reveals of like when he finds the, uh, he gets into his little notebook and it's like, well, he's, he's not some altruistic uh, prison guard giving us a test. He's the head of the pharmaceutical company. Oh my goodness. Like, yeah, we, so? <laughs> like, what's so big about that? I don't even know why that had to be, had that, that had to be a secret. It's, it's a very interesting movie and it's gotta be the most beautiful prison movie ever with like the most upbeat soundtrack ever. What were, what were your, some of your favorite choices for the soundtrack? I, I mean, I know you, you sent me at least uh, one in the chat this morning. It starts right out of the gate, super strong with Super Tramps, the logical song. Um, there's She Blinded Me with Science. There's Roxy Music's More Than This. It's as if you have been, it's as if you have tuned your serious satellite radio to Yacht Rock. This music makes you feel like you want to get out on a boat, which makes sense because it's on that picturesque setting there is aviation, there's water boats, there's a beautiful all wood vessel that's used as an escape, uh, a la Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I would say some of the best wooden boat work since <laughs> the scene in Venice. But I think that that was really transportive. And I think that they did this for two reasons, okay? It was filmed during the pandemic, and you can tell that because outside of these establishing shots of this unbelievable scene. I think it was probably filmed in Hawaii because I think that's why Miles Teller was out there with Aaron Rodgers, if you remember those headlines uh, with the Shailene Woodley thing going on. But they did that to kind of give it some life and to give it some color. But most of this picture takes place in an intentionally sterile white room. Mm -hmm. Overwhelming majority of it is two rooms separated by glass, kind of like someone recording a track and then a producer being in the other room. It's very simple. The character development doesn't go too far. They only tell you what you absolutely need to know about Miles Teller, the protagonist. Interestingly enough, I found the flashbacks where you discovered why he was incarcerated to work really well. He's just kind of a party guy who drank too much um, at a beautiful outdoor soiree, got in a vehicle, drove drunk, ended up killing his best friend and his girlfriend. It's something that sticks with him. And you can feel the defeat in him because in one hand that he is has a lot of agency and he's pretty savvy. But on the other, he really seems resigned to what's going on. And we can tick through the drugs that are given. I thought that that's a really cool thing too. And they, you spoke about how the vibe of this movie shifts dramatically and how it kind of reflects what drugs are being imbibed. I thought that part was awesome because I thought that was a secondary layer. I thought that you felt as though you were being affected by the same things that were the participants in this study were being impacted by, and I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, I thought that there was enough comedy to make me laugh. There was enough darkness to make me 
really understand that Hemsworth, who does an amazing job in this, is a bad guy because he's very charismatic. And all his actions toward Miles Teller are really, the relationship is not so much, the power dynamic is more of a friend. And you understand why with the big reveal that they've been given OBDX, which is the obedience drug, which means that when you are under the influence of that, and they are constantly, you're going to consent to anything. So you understand that he doesn't have to have a heavy hand. So if you're watching it, and you don't really get those notes that drive in just how horrific, just how indifferent to people's suffering he actually is, then you could find yourself being on his side. And looking at him, it, it's hard not to be. Both my wife and I, I think, made plans to run away with him and have an affair, maybe like a three-way situation. I mean, there was a lot of unspoken stuff going on on the couch. So I think that that kind of spiced things up for us and, and added element, but yeah, no, I, I thought that the vibe shifting was really good and it kept it from getting stayed. And it really helped me get in line with the pacing of this movie. They didn't spend too much time on anything. And you could have a complaint saying that, Oh, they didn't develop it and they didn't go deep on element a or element B but I actually thought that that was really nice. It was, uh, let's just keep it moving. We made a movie. Here it is. I hope you enjoy it. And honestly, when I'm watching Netflix, starting a movie at 930 at night after a long day, that's all I want. Yeah, Hemsworth was great. He was kind of like a, a Michael Scott of if he was a prison warden and also a pharmaceutical rep. Um, he was just he was just so fun and uh you know you wanted to hang out with him even if even if he had to give you a little laffodil or something miles teller he he had the the hint of a mullet which kind of uh really solidified his character we shall we also need to uh mention that journey smollett was in it as uh one of the love interests and it's kind of crazy that she's been acting for like 30 years now and she's she's started as the little girl on uh Hang on, Mr. Cooper and Full House. And now here she is on this um, st- kind of star-studded cast. I mean, not really star-studded, but like the top top line in this movie was pretty big. You've got the director of Top Gun Maverick. You've got Miles Teller, who has been in a lot of uh, bigger good stuff. And, you know, he's like a couple lines down on uh, Maverick. Top Gun Maverick is the only movie that's made a billion dollars this year. The next movie that's going to make a billion dollars this year is probably going to be Thor, Love and Thunder, right? So you've got the director of the biggest movie of the year and the actor of what's going to be one of the biggest movies of the year. This, I don't know, this movie wouldn't work in theaters. Nobody would see this in theaters because how do you, how do you sell this? As a parent, you know, I don't go to go to the movies. That's going to, I think that's going to be a common theme whenever you and I are on one of these uh, shows together is that, if these things weren't streaming, we would never see them. There's no way I'd see Spiderhead in the first five years it existed if it wasn't plopped on Netflix for me. I'm, I'm glad and, and I did enjoy it. No, so two, so two things yeah. going off what you just said. I think that they do a good job with Smollett and Teller establishing them as blue collar people. And even Heather, who's another inmate at this facility, is kind of painted as the every woman. There's a bit of an edge to them. They are not elite. 
And that contrasts nicely against Hemsworth, who is kind of playing this role of tech billionaire, could be president, could be anything that he wants, leader. but he is just like, if you were to like establish a rich, handsome, intelligent guy, that's Hemsworth. And I think that Teller and Smollett kind of keep this film anchored to the every person. And in terms of like whether this movie would work in theaters, it's an interesting discussion because I agree that it wouldn't. But I also think that what this movie does is the platonic ideal of kind of what Netflix is there for. Netflix is there for putting it on and chilling. And so often we lament that they don't make movies like this anymore. They don't make these B tier, B plus, which is the grade I would give for this movie if it had to be a letter grade. They don't make these type of films anymore. Everything is trying to say something deep or it's got a budget of 250 million with a bunch of explosions, all that stuff. I think what this was, was just a movie, just an enjoyable movie, a movie that to talk about another franchise in this sphere that we're stepping into is rewatchable. Like is yeah. it something like if it was played on cable TV, if it had come out 20 years earlier, you could see this movie being on TNT or TBS all the time. And people just kind of like checking in because they know this scene is going to come up or that scene is going to come up. So it'll be a common refrain and it already is from what we've discussed, but a lot of the movie's deficiencies could also be spun as strengths because it kind of asks you to just go with it and vibe. It's just a vibe movie. And if you buy in, it's kind of rewarding in its own way. All right. Well, now seems like a good time to look at the, the different drugs that were, uh, that were tested in Spiderhead and, oh, and Spiderhead also, they don't explain why it's called Spiderhead. Uh, I started to read the short story and it's because that's what they call the main room there. And I think there's like eight rooms around it, maybe in the story, but it's just, just a weird name as it stands in the, uh, in the world of the film. So what they were, the big bad one obviously is uh dark and flocks, which is, that's, that's a really cool name for a, uh, a drug that just ruins your life. Um, I'm not sure what, I mean, is it, was that drug being created for punishment? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Dark and Flocks was kind of akin to when you watch an apocalyptic movie like 28 Days Later and they free the monkey that's been infected with rage that ultimately leads to the downfall of society. It kind of seems like that's what we were going for here. Um, this name, like all the other ones, super easy to understand. I really appreciated that. Um, there's the whole bingo card element built in that doesn't really need <laughs> to be there outside of kind of like a visual gag, but you see how much of this movie like is reliant on looking at an iPhone screen of a dial being moved up and that's simple. But I also think it's super effective because it's something that we can all understand. And it's helpfully notched out to what's a non-lethal dose to what is a lethal dose. And Dark and Flocks, when administered in small doses, 
makes you very agitated and just unable to function and administered in a lethal dose, as we see, is going to lead to murder or suicide or more likely murder than suicide. The stakes could not be higher. We understand that. The thought of having that in your own veins is terrifying. I don't know if everybody's had it, but anybody who's had a feeling of paranoia, it's not comfortable. It's not pleasant. Um, I will say some of these drugs too, as someone who dabbles in marijuana, actually kind of like reflect some of the elements of, of what a drug journey can be like, right? Like the freak out, the nervousness, the un the inability to kind of describe what you're feeling, what you're afraid of, what's making you so agitated, but having it be very real and ultimately take over your body to the point where you're unable to function. That's a very understandable and relatable thing, I thought, for viewers at home. Well, if you're having trouble uh, describing how you're feeling, then you should really just drip on with some verbulence, which will... It'll, it'll help you help you get your thoughts out in a very eloquent manner and very you'd be very literal as well. So don't try and eat any socks. Yeah, verbulence was was a great thought, too, because that taps into expanded creativity, seeing things a different way and not being afraid to share those feelings that you're having. Um, it's used in the movie as a tool for Hemsworth to really understand what's going on because when these drugs are administered, it's such a strong chemical reaction that people are going to act in ways that are going to inhibit their vocabulary centers. And what this does is it allows him to understand exactly the effects, but it also serves as a bridge for viewers to fully understand the emotions and the journey that they're on. I thought that was a nice artistic flourish that they didn't necessarily need to have, but it heightened each and every drug interaction. Yeah. Um, and one of the drugs that, that was referenced, but um, I don't think it was ever actually administered during the film, uh, was honesties. With the verbulence would, uh, would really make for some big revelations, I think. We can't ignore Levactin. That's a tentative name, I believe, for uh, N40. And that leads to, that's used in the beginning of the film for, for some of the comedy. What's our boys, our, our boy Jeff have sex with Heather and I think Emma. And it makes for a couple, you know, comedic sex scenes, including the one with Heather where she's very clearly wearing uh, both shorts and underwear throughout the love, vigorous lovemaking. And this is... The one that Mark wants to uh, take home. Um, we haven't we haven't mentioned Mark, who's just kind of the little uh, the little friend, the little intern, assistant guy, who ends up somehow being the hero, even though he's been administering these drugs uh, for who knows how long. But he's obviously very conflicted, uh, even though he's very into the idea of having these drugs, like the Love Actin. Yeah, Mark is kind of the Liz Cheney in our scenario, where ultimately when rubber meets the road, they make the right decision. But you wonder what took so long, because on its face, uh, <laughs> there were problems uh, and they were cruising for a bruising. 
Levactin sounds like uh, Tenactin that you put on your genitals. It made me laugh the first time I heard it. I thought that those scenes were really cool because you knew exactly what was going to happen, but it didn't make it any less exciting. But also like you realize that they're essentially slaves to this and they're participating in non-consensual sex. Like they're consenting with each other, but you saw, I mean, you could see Jeff and Heather get together in the real world. You could not see Jeff and Emma get together in the real world. It showed that it had nothing to do with the other person. Um, it's then set up where the big bad guy, kind of like the white power uh, prison inmate is brought into the room. And Jeff thinks it's going to be administered in that situation to extremely uncomfortable. I didn't want to watch that just because you cross that line where you're really hammering home that we can make you um, in this most intimate of things with people that you would never do that in real life. Like, I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's just extremely screwed up. It's extremely messed up. And on one hand, like everything else in the movie, like it's played for comedic effect, but there's the initial laugh. And then you're like, oh, that sucks. And they established that right out of the bat. The very first scene of the movie is there's a corny dad joke administered to someone who is taking Laffodil, which makes you find everything funny. And that's followed up with facts about the Rwandan genocide. And the guy can't help but laugh. And you're just like, okay, well, that establishes the tone right away and makes you wonder what is to laugh at this movie and what is to take serious. And I think that if you watch this on multiple, if you took multiple viewings of this, you would find and notice different things that you thought were funny to begin with that were actually very serious. And conversely, things that were very serious that are kind of funny because the stakes, even though they get to be high, you know, you know that this movie is going to end in. 112 minutes or whatever it is and it's going to be neat and tidy and it's not going to stay with you like uh hereditary or midsummer or something that kind of haunts your dreams it's kind of a neatly confined uh enjoy it while it's on enjoy it when it's done but you're not going to have any long-lasting effects which is the opposite of all these drugs that the people are taking yeah you mentioned the scene where uh he where Jeff was in the in the room with uh, Rogan, who's the big guy who who also was he's the big brother in uh, Mad Max Fury Road. If you thought he looked familiar, he's a, he's a very large man. I think he was a professional wrestler at one point. Uh, but in that scene where doing that and then in my mind, it's like, oh, well, this is the Dark and Flax one. And it's surprising that none of them chose to do the Dark and Flax. None of them would administer it. Which, you know, in a, in a prison like this, I mean, these are all people with good hearts in this, this maximum security prison. Uh, nobody's even a little, bit, a little bit mean except for uh, the mysterious shit finger, you know. Uh, you would think there would be more problems with the test. Um, but I guess that's the OBDX talking. Do you think that was a comment on the Stanford prison experiment? That's how I read it. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not, I, I can't speak to say if it, if it definitely was, but I mean, that's kind of what it, that's what it was like where, you know, but if it was, then people would 
then somebody would have done the dark and flocks. They would have been like, yep, because I'm the prison guard now. The only other drug that I had caught was the uh, Phobica. I, I think it might be spe- uh, pronounced like that. Phobica, Phobica, which is the one where you you are terrified of pretty much anything, including a stapler. Which also, you know, terrifying thought, but to and and played well, so it looks terrifying, but also comedy. Yeah, I, I it's yeah. I mean, I think it's an achievement to make a stapler look menacing you can have your quims and your quabbles about this film but i thought that their experiential narratives of what was going on was the high point when we started to get to the actual nuts and bolts of this movie about the plot about x happens then y happens that's sort of where it falls apart okay because if chris hemsworth is this maniacal genius like one of the smartest people in the world his whole plan is to kind of have this moleskin type journal under lock and key but he just has it out in the open he doesn't seem particularly interested in securing it now maybe it didn't really matter to him if they found out that this was being done for profit and not to better society um i think that the biggest reveal was that all these people were free to go a long time ago. Um, yes, that was very, opted that was very evil part. That's yeah, that that's pretty messed up. But yeah, I think about when you got 70% through the fun and games were largely over. And then it turned into this procedural where you kind of knew what was going to happen. Another thing that didn't really resonate with me is that outside of Steve and Jeff, they didn't establish the ancillary characters, you know, shit finger. What is the point of that? There was a guy who just ate food all the time and they didn't really figure into the plot outside of a laugh line or one last callback. Um, eventually all the prisoners turn on the two escapees, mm-hmm. but they're largely ineffective and they're not really scary. We don't fully understand their motivations it is a movie that on one hand is pretty trim and tight, but also the things that they left in could have been cut because they don't add much to the bottom line. Did you have the same experience where establishing the world was the joy and then living in the world was a bit of a letdown? Yeah. Um, and towards the end, it just kind of became a straight up action comedy. Um, you've got multiple fight scenes, uh, where Jeff, uh, Jeff beats up Thor, uh, which, you know, I, I, I have a problem with that. And then he, they have hand-to-hand combat in the halls. And then you've got the, the guy who was eating all the food. And they just, that was another just straight up comedy part where it's like, yeah, the, the mob, the mob was very ineffective. Um, you know, you would think there would be a lot more resistance, but ended up they just ended up all running into a door at the same time as Journey Smollett threw up the uh, deuces. Uh, but yeah, the, the part with with the food guy, Nathan, or whatever, and it's just like, oh, here's the key of the pantry. And he's like, oh, cool, thanks. They established a very interesting um, setting, and then you don't really learn much, if anything, about anyone. 
um, except for the very main characters. Uh, you would think there would be some much more menacing people in there, but you know, we you don't really find it except for the one note, the one note jokes. I think that the big winner, you know, this is big winner isn't necessarily going to be a uh, recurring segment here, but uh, the big winner of this movie is Chris Hemsworth. Like you, I think this is this might be the first like non Marvel, and I haven't watched a lot of Marvel stuff. But like the first non-Marvel thing that I've really remembered seeing him in, and he carried it. He I thought showed a ton of range. He was funny. He was charming. I would absolutely watch him in anything now. And I think this is the kind of role that I mean, you could picture like Tom Cruise in this role, and that's the kind of leading man stuff he's obviously made of. So. Uh, giant, handsome Australian men. Uh, I mean, maybe they're my... I didn't know he had it in him. I really didn't. Um, Like you, I feel like I was, you know, kind of impervious uh, to his acting prowess. And I was struck by how much he can do with his face. Um, You brought up Michael Scott before. There were certain elements that reminded me of that. But then there were also elements where he has the magnetism of kind of like a Leonardo DiCaprio, where you're just enthralled by what he's doing. He's funny. He hit all the comedic beats. Um, I think that's a testament to the writing because the writing made him just dumb enough. And he really capitalized on that. Yeah, I think that it, it opens up a lane for him to play this type of character. I thought it would be really interesting to see him kind of in the Skarsgård role in succession of Gojo. He seemed kind of uh, in that ilk, in that vein. I was blown away by the scenes that he had by himself, many of which were just him taking drugs. Thing around. The scene where he gets in the plane um, and is just, has a cocktail of barbiturates and nonsense going through him against that score. He does so much on one hand, it's corny and cheesy on the other. He kind of brought some gravitas to it and yeah, he's a detestable human being, but he was likable. And I I think that him crashing into the mountain to end the movie is a nice clean way to do it. But I felt a little bit of regret for him. And I think that you saw that on Teller and Smollett, too, as they got away, where they harbored a lot of animosity, but they knew that he wasn't the most awful person in the world. Like, there was still some good to him. Maybe the greed got in the way, but at some point it did seem like he cared a little bit about people. And you could say that he was manipulative by treating the prisoners like they were friends. But I thought that there were real moments of connection. And I thought that his relationship with Mark, too, uh, being Mark's superior, he largely treated him with respect. You could see that they, you know, that wasn't, he wasn't using him. Um, He actually kind of championed his agency in a lot of ways. And maybe that was all part of the master plan. But I thought that Hemsworth was the big winner here. I was pleasantly surprised. 
As far as Teller, which is the other thing to discuss here, I've seen Miles Teller in precious few things. Um, that awkward moment is probably the main thing. Uh, whiplash, of course. He's very okay. serious. He's very stoic. This performance was extraordinarily measured. And maybe that's what he is. I was trying to think of a comp for him because he's not Bradley Cooper. He's more brooding and he's more... He has a bit of an edge to him, but we also know that he's really gifted comedically too and can be charming. This performance didn't show me anything that I didn't know about him. I didn't walk away saying, oh, this guy is going to be one of our best movie stars for the next 10 years. He just kind of seems like a really solid number two guy, and maybe that will be his legacy. But it was small. It was measured. The flashbacks, I thought, was where he was at his, uh, his best. Um, oddly enough, the romantic sparks weren't there. I think he's a pretty good romantic actor because he captures the way that you interact with both friends and someone you like, and there's sparks there. His ability to kind of have conversation that is believable, that doesn't seem like he's delivering a line, is really good. But I'm not escaping this movie saying oh miles teller is something that you absolutely have to watch he was kind of just the protagonist in the main character but this is hemsworth's movie from the get-go i guess i guess i want to go and watch black hat on uh netflix now which i think was hemsworth's one of his first uh like big starring roles that wasn't superhero movie but what I, th I think that was supposed to be very bad so i'm interested to watch that but for teller yeah he's just kind of he's been solid for um I, I i've heard him described as having a uh, punchable face he is good at comedy with, uh, while uh kind of being a dick i think that's his that's his uh real wheelhouse uh, he he was in like some like college movies like he was in Project X. This the spectacular now I think was uh, where he and uh, Shailene became good buddies. Uh, Twenty one and over I remember seeing that and kind of liking it. Whiplash obviously it was amazing, and Footloose uh, where he got to do a Southern accent. The Footloose remake was very watchable, um, and watching Miles Teller learn to dance. And he he was also in a, in in a uh, good boxing movie which I had never heard of, but I've seen, I've never heard anybody talk about it called bleed for this, which is like about a boxer coming back from a uh, spinal injury. So, oh, a, point, a point in his corner is that he's good at the physical stuff. And this movie required him to be physical um, on the drugs. And I think a lesser actor would have had a real problem with that, or maybe overplayed it. Maybe it's a testament to the strength that he wasn't overbearing. Yeah, he kind of tries to play it cool, a little uh, under underwhelming, try and not go over the top. And I think that's that's a strength that he works in it, works like that. And I'm I'm looking forward to Top Gun Maverick showing up on Paramount in a month or two so that I can watch that. And and again, kind of because I know there's he sings in that one. Uh, that's where they do like he gets to do that scene where he's playing the piano on the bar. I'm not against Miles, Miles Teller. I, I kind of like him. If if he does something, it's probably going to be um, interesting at least. 
it's a strong stance uh, and we appreciate strong stances here on the big stream. Probably the two things to close this is I just wish more people saw this movie and I hope that yeah. they seek it out because it didn't explode, um, but it will have an impact on you. I think for what we do in the internet space, I found it to be the potential for meme ability to be really strong. There's a ton of memeable moments and I'm kind of surprised it hasn't caught on. I would love if it did, but it's exactly that type of thing that can translate. I mean, there's so many good reaction shots. There's so many good lines. Uh, It would be awesome to see the popularity increase. Yeah. 100%. Like just watching it the first time, like I, I was taking pictures of my TV and sending them to you. There's just, a lot of good stuff, good little snippets, which is really what is most important in our our current state of the internet. Just being being able to be a good GIF or a meme, a reaction, any kind of reaction is just invaluable. We're always looking for something new, and I think that this movie has that in spades. Yeah, in closing, if we wanted to give a score, um, you know, I used to work with Roger Ebert, so I used the four-star scale. And what that does is it essentially, you grade everything based on what the movie is trying to be, okay? So a comedy that's not going to rewrite history like Horrible Bosses succeeds, right? So Horrible Bosses is flirting with the three and a half stars out of me, uh, from me, even though it's not Road to Perdition or something that's well more well-made. I thought that this movie succeeded in doing everything it wanted to do. Um, it's not going to win any Academy Awards. It's not going to win an Oscar. But for the goals it set out to accomplish, I'd give it a three and a half out of four because it's tight, it's clean, it's beautiful, and it's the rare time where I was just so happy with my selection. Um, And I gave myself completely over to it, which I think helped. But I think that it's just a reflection of how strong it is, and how efficiently it was able to get me to a place of diving in and kind of forgetting everything else that wasn't that movie. And it also didn't require me to use my brain too much. If you love Black Mirror, you will love this movie. It's quirky, it's cool, and it is, I'm just, I could not be happier that, number one, that I watched, and number two, I got to discuss it with someone who also saw it, because I feel like I've been telling everybody in my life that they should check it out just because I want to get their thoughts on that. So that would kind of be my closing challenge to the listeners, that if you made it this far, obviously you probably watched it. Uh, it's probably worth another viewing because I've seen it twice and I don't regret watching it twice. And there'll probably be future viewings in my future. Yeah. Um, I would agree with most of that. I it's, it's a rewatchable movie. Um, I think that if this was something that was on TNT or AMC and they were playing it every other day, like 1 PM, I would have it in the background more times than not. Um, was it a, a great movie? Like, I mean, it's not, it's not going to win awards, like you said, but I, it's, it's solid. Um, and rewatchability is a big thing. 
you know, I, they should make a podcast about that. But that's kind of what we're trying to do here. Uh, I would recommend this movie um, just so I could make references to it and people would get it. So I would pro- I would probably give it uh, three stars. Um, and that's not necessarily reflect the rewatchability factors into a lot. Uh, as an actual movie, you know, I'd give it two stars. Um, but it's just very entertaining. And so I'll, I'll bump it up to three. And I, I think with that, we will close our first episode of The Big Stream. Uh, I'm Stephen Douglas. Kyle, thank you. You're free to cruise, buddy. All right. Drip on, baby. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.